ready to stop spinning your wheels and start moving your business forward, you're in the right place. On each episode of Accelerate to Achieve, we'll discuss a crucial step in the journey, offering tips and advice that you can apply immediately within your own company. From financial management to customer success to digital transformation, we'll cover it all while providing leadership lessons from top industry insiders. In just 15 minutes, you'll be inspired to build momentum through action and achieve incredible results. Welcome to Accelerate to Achieve, the podcast that moves you from question to answer and idea to execution. Hello, and welcome back to the latest edition of the Accelerate to Achieve podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Walter, the founder of Perils Advisory. It's great having you here for this latest edition in our Spotlight series. In times of disruption or major change, we're often forced to think about the things in new ways or from different perspectives. This opening of our minds and acceptance of novel ideas can leave improvements and opportunities previously unimagined. Now, we are really fortunate today to be joined by Christine Zaccarelli, CEO of the Crime Victim Center of Chester County. A lawyer by trade, she's had a distinguished career focused on ensuring individuals, regardless of their income or situation, receive legal representation and aid. Christine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ryan. I'm the fortunate one. I always appreciate an opportunity to share the word about CVC and what we do for our community. Well, let's jump straight into that then. Can you tell us a little bit more about the organization and the services you provide? Sure. Uh, We were originally formed in 1973, two years before the statewide coalition Pennsylvania Against Rape here in Chester County as the Rape Crisis Council of Chester County. Um, Back then, our mission was solely focused on victims of sexual assault and helping those uh, that were victims navigate the criminal justice system, medical services, etc. The services grew. Uh, In 1976, we expanded and became the comprehensive center that we are today, providing services to victims of all crimes and their families and those impacted. And then in 1985, we became the Crime Victim Center of Chester County, as we are known today. Our services uh, mainly contain two different departments. Our direct services team, we have two hotlines, one for victims of sexual assault and one for victims of all other crimes that operate 24-7, 365 days a year, where clients and potential clients can reach an advocate for services any time of the day or night. Our advocates, the best way I describe our services for our advocates is they're that friendly face in the room. When you are entering a room for the first time or you're attempting to navigate a new system, we have a tendency to scan the room and look for that friendly face. Who can I go over and start talking to, to calm myself down and get a handle on what's happening? And for our clients, our advocates are that face. They can walk into the DA's office, a police department, a courtroom, and scan the room for their advocate and immediately find comfort in knowing that their advocate is going to help them through. We provide accompaniment to courtrooms, police interviews, district attorney interviews, and to hospital exams, including forensic rape exams. We also provide assistance accompaniment for child abuse cases through the Children's Advocacy Center located in the Chester County District Attorney's Office. Our direct service team also includes our counselors, We have two full-time and four part-time counselors who provide counseling services, both in person 
virtually and in group settings to clients who need assistance in healing from whatever victimization um, they may have suffered from. We also have our prevention and education team. Our prevention education team goes out and does prevention and awareness. The best way I can describe the difference between prevention and awareness is awareness is simply the the cybersecurity, the internet safety, those types of things, those types of steps that we can take as individuals to make sure that we are not victims of crime. Prevention is about creating a society where that crime doesn't happen to anybody. Um, and that's where our prevention efforts are focused. We, we uh, do programming in kindergarten through 12th grade, colleges and universities, and then parents and professionals. And those programs range from conflict, conflict resolution, to safe dates, uh, to respect at the workplace, a program designed to create healthy workplaces and prevent harassment within the workplace. Um, so that's just a little bit about uh, the services that we provide here in Chester County. All of our services are completely free. They are all completely confidential and they are regardless of income. You know, I'd like to unpack a little bit more in the sort of prevention and awareness space that you went into. Um, how critical is that, do you think, sort of in the overall um, services that you provide? And, and what's the impact that that has had or, or does have? So it's, crit I mean, obviously it's critical um, to what we do and it's critical to creating a safe community. Um, the impact, one of the ways that we measure the impact, we do have a prevention education evaluation specialist on staff. And her sole task, her sole responsibility is to measure the impact of the programming that we're doing in the schools. And so what our team will do is they will do pre-test, pre-program testing, and then post-program testing to measure the attitudes. For instance, we just had a, a, a program in Unionville High School where we measured the impact of the programming on the kids' attitudes towards violence in relationships and creating healthy relationships. Um, and what we were able to show through the statistics and through Anna's work, who is our prevention evaluation specialist, is that um, fortunately the kids did not approve of violence in a relationship before the study or before the programming. We found that the, the um, statistics that the kids expressed opinions that it wasn't okay. And then that went up slightly after our program. So we can see that fortunately the kids were already aware of those issues, the students, um, but then after our programming, they were even more aware and their um, views on that had strengthened um, after our programming. So it, it really is crucial um, to creating a safe community, which is what C one of the things that CBC is all about. You know, I, th I would imagine there's another side to this too, uh, beyond sort of the prevention awareness and, and the direct services uh, being provided, you know, when someone has had such a horrific experience. And that's maybe the, what you'd call the awareness around um, the impact past trauma may have had and what those triggers might be. Have you found it's easy for folks to recognize that in, in support of others? Or is that something we also really need to be aware of? Absolutely. It is something that we need to be aware of. And frankly, Ryan, I found that the word trigger, um, I've, only, I've been with CBC for about four years now, and I feel incredibly fortunate to have learned so much from um, my coworkers here at CBC on these issues. Um, and one of them is the, the use of the word trigger and the impact that trauma can have on folks. 
when I was an attorney at Legal Aid um, of Southeastern PA, I wish I would have had a lot of this information because I truly believe it would have made me a better advocate in recognizing where my clients were coming from. Um, one of the things that we talk about at CBC are ACEs. They are um, negative experiences that children have uh, as they're growing up. There's a fa- there's 10 of them and there's literally an ACEs score um, that any anybody can have, a child or an adult can have because it, it's not just something that affects children. And that trauma can be carried through adulthood uh, for some who have not had the tools or the coping mechanisms to deal with that trauma. And so one of the things that we do at CBC is encourage folks to recognize that. And instead of when you're providing advocacy or services or education or anything to folks, instead of asking what's wrong with you, why can't you do what I need you to do? Why why aren't you performing the way I think you should? Um, The question that we encourage folks to ask is what happened to you? Um, What happened to you that's causing you to act this way? And how can I help? Um, instead of having that negative impact. So yes, they, the impact of trauma and the word trigger, um, you know, a, a trigger we typically think of um, in the form of a weapon um, or something like that. But for us, a trigger is an event. It could be something as simple as the slamming of a door um, or where our client sits in a courtroom. If they're sitting all the way in the corner and they feel trapped back in the corner that they couldn't get out if they needed to, that might be a trigger to something that happened to them. And it's going to make them feel feelings that to someone sitting next to them might feel abnormal. It might feel odd that they're feeling these things just because they're simply sitting in the corner. Um, But letting folks know that things like that can trigger feelings of of someone who has suffered trauma um, is a very big part of our work. And it's a very big part of our prevention work. Um, for how we treat folks out in the community and how we can interact with each other. You know, and I think it's it's obviously a very, you know, complex uh, challenge. Um, and, and as you said, it's th- that awareness. I'm wondering, becoming more trauma-informed, how does that impact for all of us, not, not just what you do within the organization, for all of us in society, how does that impact the way either we should engage with others or... Maybe we should be considering the way we engage with others, because I imagine, like I said, beyond just your walls, there's a lot of impact that this could have societally. Absolutely. Uh, We do trauma-informed advocacy presentations to all types of professions. Obviously, one that's near and dear to my heart is attorneys. Um, As attorneys, especially attorneys in family law or criminal law, um, there's a lot of trauma involved in needing an attorney in the first place. Um, so as attorneys, we know right off the bat that there's a very good chance that our client is dealing with some form of trauma um, just because of the nature of that work. And so educating attorneys um, specifically on how they can react and how they can respond to clients, meeting their clients where they are, giving them written lists of things to do, um, asking them if they've explained things OK instead of did you understand all that? Um, these are very little steps that we can take that will hopefully create a trauma-informed community. Um, and that's just in the legal world. We've also done trauma-informed presentations to um, the Exton Region Chamber of Commerce, to businesses in how to treat customers, how to, how to treat staff, um, how to interact with folks who, who, might have been, who might have gone through trauma or are going through trauma. 
Um, another thing that we touch on is we're in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> um, that's been going on for quite some time now. Um, so we are all, that's a collective trauma that we're all going through. And um, we don't know how folks, what kind of space folks have had, what kind of family life they've had. You know, we don't know the early stages of the lockdown, how that affected everyone. Um, so the being trauma-informed, um, I think that is very key that folks understand that it's not just about the trauma that you read in the newspaper, a a car accident or losing a loved one to homicide or something violent happening to you. There's lots of different ways that trauma can inform our lives and that it can inform the way that we treat those that we live with, those that we, those in our community um, and those that we work with. You touched on the pandemic and obviously I think the potentially hidden impact that can have on so many. Um, I'm interested to learn a little more about the impact it had for the organization and those you served? So um, we, we were considered an essential service at CBC um, back in March of 2020 when the pandemic first started. So we did not close. Uh, we did send all of our team uh, home to work remotely, which was a challenge because we did not have laptops issued for all of our team members at the time. Uh, most of us worked on desktops in the office. Um, so we were very fortunate to get funding um, from some local community groups in order to provide laptops for over 30 people. We have 36 staff members uh, at CVC right now. At the time, we had 34. Uh, so we had to get most folks outfitted with laptops, which we did in the summer of 2020. Um, and initially, like most folks, we were thinking it was going to be two weeks and then we'd be back. Um, and we quickly really realized that, that was not going to be the case. Um, so our direct service team, our advocates spent most of the time talking to our clients about what was happening with courts because the courts were obviously shut down. Um, we had a lot of clients concerned about when their case was going to be heard, especially those that were scheduled right in that March and April and May window. That was very difficult for them um, to not only have it continued, but then have the unknown of when it was actually going to be heard. Um, and so our advocates um, spent most of the time doing that. Our counselors transitioned to phone sessions very quickly. Some of our clients initially weren't too thrilled with that option. And so they thought, oh, I'm going to wait till I can be back in the office. As the pandemic went on, um, those folks changed their mind and started to come to the, uh, phone the phone sessions. And then we eventually were able to secure funding to use a, a, a platform called Doxy.me that we will continue to use for the foreseeable future. Um, that is a HIPAA compliant virtual platform for counseling sessions that a lot of our uh, member, a lot of our clients um, appreciated. And so that started also in the summer of 2020. Our prevention and education team initially went into what we refer to as summer mode. Um, when they do a lot of the evaluation of the programming, they investigate new programming for the upcoming school year, and they basically plan for their school year. And they also do um, outreach in our community to the parent and professional groups and to the universities and colleges um, in, in August. Once we realized the schools were not coming back, um, the PE team really shifted to creating a virtual platform for as many of our programs as we could. Um, and that's what they worked on through, the, through 2020. Um, in May of 2020, the Children's Advocacy Center opened back up again and started, um, started doing interviews again. And then slowly the courts opened up hospital accompaniment. So by November of 2020, we were back at full capacity as far as concerned. We were on a hybrid model, um, which we will continue to do where our team is in the office two days a week and then working from home three days a week. 
And then that rotates the next week. Um, frankly, none of us wanted to have to work in the office every Friday anymore. So we did a rotating schedule um, to try to switch that up for everybody. Um, so that so as of November 2020, we were pretty much back at it um, in a regular fashion. And then, of course, the spikes of the holidays of 2020 came. So we went back remote for a couple of months. Uh, we did not suspend any accompaniment back then. And then we were back in the office. I think it was last February of 2021. Um, and then last last year, it pretty much continued in a hybrid model um, with those services. Our PE team, Joe Myers, our director of prevention education, was working very closely with the schools, adjusting to their schedules as they were going virtual and in person and back and forth um, and working with them on what we needed. Ashley Coyle, our director of victim response, was working with the court system, our district attorney's office, the county detectives, and our law enforcement um, as, as needs changed um, throughout, throughout 2021. Um, and now in 2022, we found ourselves um, again in another surge. So we are now fully remote again. Um, we're hoping to come back sometime in February. We did have to suspend in-person accompaniment for a very brief time over the Christmas holidays um, due to our staff shortages, not hiring shortages, but folks that had COVID or had been exposed to COVID. Um, and then we were able to open that back up just after the holiday. So we're back to um, accompaniment and business as usual, except we're all working from home right now. So that was a long uh, history of our of our pandemic, um, but it's been almost two years, and so that's how we've adapted. Well, and I'm also wondering sometimes with adaptation comes new opportunity. Uh, did anything new come out of that? From again, an opportunity perspective or approach that you've now uh, maybe taken on board and are running with? Absolutely, um, the Doxy.me platform, uh, the virtual sessions. For instance, we had one client who lives in Oxford um, and she gets two hours of her week back because now she's able to do the sessions virtually and she doesn't have to drive into Westchester, find a place to park because our office is right on Market Street, um, have her hour session and then drive all the way home. So a lot of our clients have very much appreciated the virtual aspect of counseling. Um, so that's definitely something that we're going to have in our toolbox um, moving forward. And frankly, it's something we should have had in our toolbox before the pandemic. Um, you know, Zoom meetings, nobody loves them, but sometimes they're really convenient. Um, we have a meeting with our STOP collaborative team. It's uh, nonprofit professionals and uh, justice center professionals from throughout the county. We meet quarterly to discuss issues surrounding violence against women and sexual assault and different programs that are implemented um, and training sessions. And doing those via Zoom is really, really convenient. Uh, we used to do those in the justice center. Again, everybody has to drive into Westchester. Now they're able to hop on from the convenience of their living room and it makes meeting attendance a lot easier and it's not a huge group. So it's still very manageable. So the Zoom platform, um, it has its place, you know, when you have to do it all day, every day, it's not so fun. Um, but when you get to attend a three o'clock meeting in your in your bedroom instead of driving in the Justice Center, um, that can definitely be a positive. And then similarly with our prevention and education team, um, the virtual programming, it allows us to get into spaces. Um, that we might not have been able to get into before just because of a strictly convenience factor. So being able to offer that, being able to record our programming, we do have a YouTube channel um, that has some of our programming recorded and, and um, able to be watched on there. Um, and before the pandemic, that wasn't something that we would have even thought of doing. So it does allow us to 
get our message out there uh, to even more folks through these different mediums. So yeah, we've learned, um, we've definitely learned a lot and we'll take a lot of lessons um, through the pandemic. Well, Christine, thank you so much for being here with us today and discussing the invaluable work being done. Before we go, is there anything you'd like to share with the audience for those interested in learning more? Sure. Um, we do have volunteer opportunities at CVC. You can visit our website for details. We have a training class coming up in February. All of our volunteers go through a 40-hour sexual assault counselor training, which qualifies them uh, to answer our hotline as a volunteer. But if you're just interested in learning more about CVC and would like to take the volunteer training, you absolutely can do so. You're not obligated to answer the hotline if that's not something that you're interested in. Uh, in April, we also have Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and we will be doing lots of activities, you know, pandemic um, appropriate and, and in a safe manner, but lots of activities throughout the county to bring awareness to sexual assault um, all through the month of April. So uh, activities along those lines will also be on our website. And then obviously we are a private nonprofit organization. Uh, we do seek donations on a regular basis from folks. We are predominantly funded by the government for the majority of the work that we do in the court system because of the Victims' Bill of Rights. Um, we get approximately 80% of our funding from the government, but obviously 80% is not 100%. And so we do heavily rely on private foundations and private donors for the rest of those funds. Um, and they are really crucial because they allow us, our government funding is very, very strict about what we can spend it on and how we can spend it. Um, so the private donations that we receive are really our lifeline connect to connecting with the community and responding to things um, as they happen. For, for instance, the arson um, over in the Spring City area, um, we were able to respond to that without worrying about funding and, and, and how staff were getting paid and, and which funding streams were going to be appropriate um, because we know that we have those private donations. So um, if someone is interested in supporting our services financially, you can also visit our website and click on the donate page um, and make a donation. Wonderful. And we'll be including everything Christine has mentioned in the show notes and hope you've all enjoyed this latest edition in our Spotlight series. Thank you all for listening today. I look forward to joining you on the next episode. Until then, I'm Ryan Walter. And remember that solving your biggest business problems begins when you decide to accelerate your approach and achieve more. At Perils Advisory, our focus is your business's future. Having the right insight, experience, and perspective makes all the difference when tackling far-reaching issues within your company. We are here to simplify the steps, unlock your potential, and move you forward making your vision a reality. We've helped startups achieve massive growth, mid-sized businesses navigate digital transformation, and enterprises embrace innovation. Wondering how to jumpstart your business and move it forward? Contact us to discuss your audacious goals during a complimentary consultation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Accelerate to Achieve. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. Got a question, feedback on the program, or interested in being a guest? Simply go to perils.co forward slash a2a-podcast and send us a message. To learn more about our work or to book a consultation, visit us at parallels.co forward slash contact. Until next time, remember that solving your biggest business problems begin when you decide to accelerate your approach and achieve more.